praise God. I want to talk about uh, Israel, uh, Hamas, and uh, the end of days, uh, the big prophetic picture. I've given a couple messages along this line. I don't know that I'll do one for a little bit. We'll see how things start to turn out for a while because I want to get back to some other things as well. But I wanted to uh, hit some heavy things that I wasn't able to get, it, get to. We've, looked, we've had two or three messages on this. I think three already uh, messages on this. Uh, but very different. Each message is different. We looked at the Islamic Antichrist, you know, one specific message, you know. Um, you know, is God done with Israel? That was a, a specific message on a Wednesday evening. These are questions that are being asked by everybody. In fact, I was at a game at USC uh, this last weekend watching Leah Pirro, you know, playing for Grand Canyon University. Man, I think she's number four in assist in Division I for uh, assist in, in assisting goals. And she laid out two really beautiful, just dropped before the net somewhat, and they just didn't capitalize. But it was a 1-0 game, and Grand Canyon University lost to USC. But while I was there, a couple different brothers who don't attend this fellowship, live in you know, different places or wherever, came to me and were talking to me about my messages in the past and one that's more recent. Uh, both of them listened to our messages, and they were both tripping out. And one of them uh, was saying, you know, I can't believe it. He goes, when you like, go through Ezekiel 36, it's so clear that the Jews would be hated all around the world, just like the Bible says, and it's happening. He goes, it's so amazing. And he says, I work. He works in Hollywood. And uh, he, uh, he says, in my work, there's a lot of liberal Jews that don't know the prophetic scriptures, and they are against Israel and against what's happening in them defending themselves with Gaza. And he goes, I just don't get it. It's right there in the Bible, the prophecies. And he was just you know, expressing his, his gratitude that we're looking at the prophetic scriptures. And... He's followed the ministry for some time, and uh, name, name's Ray, another brother named Mike, you know, he came to me, he's like, Joe, I, way back in 1995, when I first started listening to you, I'd be driving down the freeway, and I still listen to you, but you were talking about how the last day's alliance against Israel will not be, you know, uh, the Roman Empire, but, but, but Muslim, and it's all coming together. And he goes, I remember when I first did hear you say that, I'd rewind it, listen to you again, and say, I don't know how, how that could happen. He goes, now it's happening, you know, and he's tripping out, you know. And that goes way back before 1995, guys, if you can get our tapes in the 80s. <laughs> we were warning about this for a long time. I guess I'm an old guy now, you know. So not the 1880s, don't, you know, I'm not that old, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but you guys, the scriptures are... I believe very, very clear. We're going to get into the big picture. What we're seeing right now is what the Bible talks about. I'll try to slow down a little bit. I'm already excited. So Lord, slow me down and, and help us understand your word. Because if you could grasp what I'm sharing with you today, you will see the big prophetic picture of nations and how this all ends up you know, in the end. And uh, there is a spirit. There, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, the Bible says. It's a spiritual war, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And to understand the big picture of how Israel fits in, how you fit in as a Christian, how Muslims fit in, Islam fits in, how the new world order that many are trying to bring about in this global economy that the Bible warns about in the future with the 666 new world order system with the number of the Antichrist coming out. You have to understand that God, he made us knowing that humans would rebel against him. And he wanted to save us, Right? Hell was created originally for the devil and his angels. God wanted to redeem us. And he would send his redeemer, and he said that through a woman, through the woman would come the seed that would bring salvation, that would crush the head of the serpent. The serpent would bruise the heel of, of the seed of the woman, the Messiah. Well, God chose a man named Abraham. He could have chose any people, 
you know? Could have chose Mexico. He could have chose, well, the United States and Mexico weren't around as known countries then. But he could have chose any of the people groups that were in Mesopotamia or wherever, Africa, wherever in the world. But he chose a man named Abraham. And through his descendants, he said he would bring forth that Messiah. And he called Abraham and said he'd make him a nation of many people. He said, look at the stars. Look at the sand of the seashore. That's what your descendants will be like. And sure enough, uh, he brought him out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans and brought him into what we call the promised land, the land of milk and honey, where there were all kinds of wicked people that were rebellion to God, all kinds of different groups. It wasn't one monolithic group that lived there. There were all these warring factions, the Perizzites and the, you know, uh, you know, the Jebusites and the termites and the, all these ites as you read them. Sometimes you read all these lists of these ites. And a lot of them were having sex with animals. They were sacrificing their children by burning them in the fire and so forth. And the Lord said, I bring you in the land. That's my land. When I bring you in the land, don't you practice the abominations of those nations, or I will also jettison you out of those lands, that land, the promised land. But he said, if you repent, I'll bring you back into the land. And Israel's been jettisoned more than once now. And I went into that, and I went into uh, how they became a nation again. After Jesus said the land would be dispossessed, there would be a diaspora of the Israelis, the descendants of Abraham. After they rejected Jesus as Messiah, they would be you know, overrun by the Romans who were ruling at that time. And they'd be dispersed throughout the entire world. And they're in over 70 nations, you guys. Crazy. But Jesus said that's what would happen. But Jesus revealed that they'd be brought back into the land in the last days. And the temple would be rebuilt. And there would be an abomination of desolation in the rebuilding, after the rebuilding of the temple. And a lot of stuff would go down. Okay? And there would be a lot of hostility against the Jews. And many prophecies state that the Jews would come back into the land. God even saying that he would use the nations to bring them back. And then we look at the, in 1948, May 14th of 1948, Israel became a nation again with the help of the nations after the Holocaust. After Hitler and the Nazis in Nazi Germany went into 20 different countries rounding up Jews to exterminate them off the face of the earth. And the Lord's word says that they'd be hated wherever they went. There would be, they'd be a curse and a hissing, it says in Ezekiel 36. They'd have no place to lay their feet. Any nation that's, that's been around for almost 2,000 years after they were a nation ceases to exist, even as a people group to the most part. They just get they amalgamate into the greater part of humanity. But Israel, uh, the Jews retained much of their identity through the Passover, through the, the laws that God gave them, through circumcision, through the names like Cohen. Many Jews are named Cohen. That's a Hebrew word for priest, you see. And they were, you've heard of the wandering Jew, you know? Well, they would be brought back in the land. And that only happened after there was a resolution 181, 181, to bring them back as a nation again after the Holocaust. Because for a brief moment, the nations became sorrowful for the Jews and they passed Resolution 181. Well, the day after that, all hell broke loose around them. The Muslim nations tried to destroy them. They were at war right away. Believe me, they know war, okay? From generation to generation, the Lord said you'd be, the, the, the Amalekites would be seeking to destroy them because of their rebellion against Yahweh in the past. This is all part of Scripture. But it's interesting, when you look at the bigger picture, I shared with you when I was went into a whole message on the Islamic Antichrist how Muslims have sought to seek the promises that God gave to the Jews and apply them to themselves, even though there's about 50, actually more than 50, <laughs> Muslim nations right now. 49 nations with over 50% Muslims. More than 60 that identify themselves as Muslim nations. 
That's why the United Nations has more resolutions against Israel than all the other nations on earth combined. That's crazy. And the Bible says all the nations one day after Israel would be regathered would come against Israel for the battle of Armageddon. This is, I mean, I don't know how you could be an atheist or an even agnostic if you look at the prophetic scriptures. It's so obvious these things are happening exactly with no nations ever ceased to be a nation for even a few hundred years and then become a country again and gone through the persecution that Israel went through and everything else and then becomes a world power with other nations rattling their sabers against her. All the prophetic scriptures are amazing. I mean, I mean, of course, just Jesus be born in Bethlehem. He'd be born before the scepter of Judea, uh, you know, departed, you know, the rulers of Jerusalem. Uh, and he'd be killed before the temple was destroyed, Daniel 9, which is exactly what happened. If you're Jewish, you're looking for the Messiah, he can't come because it said he'd come before the temple was destroyed. And, and Jesus did, <laughs> you know. He fulfilled these prophetic prophecies right to the place he was born in Bethlehem i got to be really careful with my time because I want to go off on these little tangents. I want to talk about Jesus. God, always talk about Jesus, though, amen? And when you talk about prophetic scriptures, you're talking about Jesus because you're talking about what he's revealed to us, amen? And what he wants us to know. So it's interesting because the questions that came up that these brothers brought up about messages I had done years and years and years ago, and they were talking about, wow, it's happening, you know? Because so many people are looking at Europe that's the Antichrist is going to come out of Europe and there's going to be this 10-nation confederacy in, in Western Europe, you know, and so forth, and maybe a little Eastern Europe. And they would miss the whole connection. But I'm like looking at the prophetic scriptures, just like I was looking at scriptures that show that the Jesus is coming after the tribulation. And it's, that wasn't popular either. Now that praise God, more and more people, thank God. There's some good things about the internet, right? That monolithic prophetic teaching that this, this whole pre-trib rapture and everything was just, that was the one that just dominated all the churches back in, when I was around. Now, uh, <laughs> the view that, we're, that the church is going to face persecution, which isn't a happy, popular view, is, has come into some prominence again. In fact, I was just interviewed uh, by a leading uh, prophetic teacher, and he brought me on. And he said, hey, Joe, I brought you on to defend the post-trib position against the pre-wrath view, which is very similar to the post-trib view. I appreciate my pre-wrath brethren because we all agree that we're going to face the Antichrist. Church is going to be persecuted. There's just little differences toward the very end. So... He said, because uh, you've had this internet presence for years promoting the post-review, and I really wanted you to present it. And this guy has done a great job for the last year presenting the post-review, but he wanted it presented against the pre-wrath view. And I don't have time to break all that down, but it's interesting that right now, a lot of things we were encouraging people to be aware of years ago, I praise the Lord because it was my heart's cry before Jesus. On my knees at times, Lord, wake the church up to see what's going on, to see that we're going to face Antichrist if, if, if we're alive at that point, right? And also that there's a whole thing going on right now with Islam and the nations and that we're missing if we're just looking at Europe saying, oh, the end's not very close. No. And then now all this stuff is breaking loose, guys. And we need to have our eyes opened. Now, it's interesting. I want to talk to you about what's going on presently because have you seen Sometimes up to 300,000 pro-Hamas Gaza people marching in, you know, in, like in Great Britain or wherever, right? United States, thousands, you know. Uh, we just had a man killed recently, just what is it, a week and a half, two weeks ago maybe, in Westlake, just 10, 15 minutes from us, uh, that it was at a pro-Israeli flag, and he had an altercation, an old guy, and a, got just hit with a cone by a, a, a pro-Palestinian guy, and hit the back of his head and died, you know? Uh, and hate crimes have been up long before this recent 
deal that just happened with Hamas, by the way, against Israelis. Now, it's interesting that 750 journalists are urging newsrooms to embrace the term apartheid and genocide against Israel in regard to the relationship with the Palestinians. Is that what happened just a few weeks back or so? No, that's not what happened at all there. But that's the liberal you know, news media wanting to make it look like the Jews want to destroy uh, all the Palestinians, which is not the case at all. In fact, one of the last Israeli trips I had, I went with a, a beautiful uh, sister, her mother, her, her brother, and he was hanging out with some liberal Christians and others, and, and he was like, and he is smart dude, and he's like on his phone, he goes, man, I'm battling my friends and stuff because they're South African, and you know apartheid in South Africa, right? He says they're all like against Israel because of apartheid against the Palestinians. He goes, I'm texting him saying, you guys, I'm here. That's not what's going on at all. You know, the Arabs and the Jews get along quite well in Israel for the most part, right? In fact, you can elect Arabs or Jews. You can't do that over in Palestine, right? You can't have leaders in, in Hamas that are, that are uh, Jewish and, and, and believe that there should be a state of Israel. Uh, so, and he was tripping out. He goes, they don't see it, you know? And it's interesting because you had Barack Obama come up. And, and keep in mind, his foreign policy leaders under Barack Obama are many of the leaders now that are under Biden, and under Biden, Biden is, you know, still saying some pro-Israel things, right? But what he gives with one side of his mouth, sometimes he takes away with the other side of his mouth. And a lot of people in the Democratic Party, a lot of socialists as well, a lot of fascists, a lot of communists, and not that these guys are all the same, there's different groups. A lot of them are just very anti-Israel, anti-Jew, and hate Israel as a nation. Isn't that interesting when you look at these different groups? It is terrible. And it's amazing because Obama was acting like there's this, ult, you know, this moral equivalency between the Jews and Hamas, you know, and, act, and, and, and treating Israel as though they're occupiers of Gaza. Okay, by the way, Gaza, the land of Gaza belonged to Israel, okay? It did. But they left Gaza in 2005. In fact, that was after several attempts to create a two-state solution where there would be Israel and that Gaza would be recognized as its own nation. Guess who rejected it over and over again? From one prime minister to the next under Israel, trying to bring that about. And I'm not even saying that was good, personally, because I don't believe that's biblical, a two-state solution. Because God says in Joel chapter 3, when he comes back to judge the world, he'll judge those who've divided up his holy land and taken it from the Jews. Just read Joel chapter 3, guys. In Isaiah chapter, I'm sorry, Psalm 83, it talks about these different nations, which are Muslim nations today, how they will seek. It just gives a list of, it's only 11, 12 verses long or so, and they'll seek to destroy Israel as a people. If you read about Gog and Magog in the last war before Armageddon, before when the Lord returns, you have the king of the north, okay, uh, which many identify as Russia. And all these nations that are mentioned with her are Muslim nations today who will seek down to seek to destroy Israel in the end of days. But God, that's when Jesus Christ steps in at the second coming. There's a big prophetic picture. You should know these things. I'm going to show you some things today that I pray. And I, I got really blessed when these brothers came to me. You know why? I thought... Does the average person at Blessed Hope, if I ask him who Gog and Magog is, or if I ask him about Psalm 83, or if I ask him about uh, Daniel's vision with the, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the different beast in chapter 7 of Daniel, or Nebuchadnezzar's image, would the average person at Blessed Hope know what I'm talking about? Yep. Well, praise God, I sure hope so. And some of you are, yep, but do you? How, and how many of you say, oh, I've heard some of this before, but you really don't know it. And I thought, praise God, these guys have heard messages from years ago. They don't even go here. And they're telling me all my stuff I've been saying years ago back. And I'm like, praise the Lord, that bless my heart. Lord, people are understanding. 
Amen. I know people are, but I want to make sure in our own fellowship that you could explain it to other people. If oh, you say, oh, you're a Christian. Oh, you're a Christian. Wow, I want to talk to you. What's your perspective? What, where's this going? The Bible has prophecies. How does this fit in? And I don't want you to say, oh, I don't know. I don't know. No, man, get in the Word. Amen. I'm challenging you to get in the Word so you have an understanding of what's going on. You want to be like the sons of Issachar. It says they knew what to do because they understood the times. Jesus said to the Jewish leaders in his day, you missed me because you know how to tell the future when you see the weather and what it looks like one the day and when the, you know, it's, it's red, you know what the morning's going to be like, but you cannot tell the signs of the times. He spelled it out to us, man. Now there's some deeper things. You don't need to be a prophecy scholar you know, to, to, to understand the times, to know every jot and tittle. Nobody actually does know it perfectly. And a lot of it will be hindsight. But you should do the, know the basic stuff, amen? Because it's happening right before our eyes. <laughs> I'm like tripping out. Uh, so it's interesting. There's not a moral equivalency between what's happening with Hamas and Gaza and Israel. First of all, have you noticed that Israel tried, gave them so much time tell, dropping leaflets telling the civilians to leave? Right? Because we're going to retaliate. By the way, who started this, this war? The same one who starts them all. That's right. Okay. The Muslims started it, man. So when you think about it, Hamas. And remember, Hamas's charter, and they rule Gaza. By the way, in 2005, Israel left Gaza. They left there. They haven't been occupying Gaza. And that's after the failed two-state solutions. They said, okay, you're left to yourselves. That's a beautiful piece of land, guys. On the Mediterranean, it's beautiful. And Gaza has been given billions, not a billion, billions and billions of dollars. That's a lot of money for the amount of people that are there. But if so much of it's been used to build war machines to destroy Israel because Hamas's charter, based on quoting Muhammad, is that every Jew is to be destroyed. And when there's some left, the rocks and the trees will cry out, cry out to the Muslims, saying, oh, Muslims, come behind me. There's a Jew hiding. Come and kill him. That's in their charter. How do you negotiate with people like that? That's why Hamas did not want a two-state solution to recognize Israel. They want the land of Israel. And they're hell-bent on destroying every Jew, if possible. This is going to get way gnarlier as we go on. You're going to be like, wow, this is like so, so clear. Because one of the things that Brother Mike said when I saw him at the USC game, and we're I think we are talking at halftime, he's like, he goes, Joe, I remember you would talk about Al-Husseini, the Grand Mufti of, of Jerusalem. And his tie-ins with Hitler, you know, and wanting to get rid of the Jews and so forth. I'm like, wow. I said, you got a good memory, bro. That was a long time ago when I was talking about that. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well because it's all tied together, guys. It's all tied together. Now, uh, by the way, I think it's important, too, that we understand that uh, Israelis, Israelis care, more about Hamas, care more about people in Gaza than Hamas. A Hamas leader just came out recently, about a week or two ago, and I've said this weeks back. And I go, oh, there he is. A guy, one of them just said it. He said, we're not about, you know, being friends with Israel, you know. He goes, we're about having a permanent war with Israel. Okay, he said that. He said, it's not about us governing Hamas. He said that. It's not about us governing We want to fight Israel permanently. I'm like, wow, that sounds like the Amalekites, man. And by the way, remember through Abraham, he was going to give a prom get a promised son, and through him, his people would come forth. Who was that promised son? Isaac. Yet what happened? He had a son named Ishmael from Hagar, an Egyptian, who he wasn't supposed to sleep with. Amen? And Ishmael, 
He wanted that to be his God. Isaac's not coming, you know. Try to hurry it up through Ishmael. Which is what happens, by the way, when you're not patient. Right? We don't wait on the Lord. Right? I was just talking to a sister recently. That's how you build your Ishmaels, you know. And uh, you don't want to build Ishmaels in your life by, by trying to speed up God's plan by doing something in the flesh. And God said, no, not through Ishmael. But he said, guess what? Twelve, he told Hagar, Ishmael's mother, that you'll have, there'll be 12 princes that come out of him, and they'll dwell to the east of Israel. Mm, interesting. And they'll be like a wild donkey kicking up against everyone around them. And guess who Muhammad claims to be a descendant of? And, and most Muslims, Arabic Muslims, claim to be descendants of Ishmael. And they're kicking up against everybody. Many of them. Now I'm not talking about, now I'm, now I'm talking more about the religious system. It's a spirit. Because I told you before, you can't look at people racially and say, oh, they're this way or they're that way. Okay, that's unrighteous, that's unbiblical, that's unchristian, that's bigoted. Okay, if someone's Jew, you, oh, that person's Jewish, so they must be this way. Or this person's Arabic, so they must be this way. Or this person's Italian, so they must have been like those who killed Jesus and put him on the cross like the Roman government. Or that person's German, so he must be like Hitler. How stupid is that? Amen? But when there's a religious system that you've adopted, and God knows prophetically that many of your people will, right? And it calls for the extermination of all of a certain race, that's evil. Okay? And that's what Islam calls for, is the destruction of the Jews in the end, and also the destruction of the, of the cross. And I've gotten into that in the last messages, so I'm not going to repeat all of that. But it's interesting, in 2007, uh, 2005, Israel left Gaza, the Gaza Strip. PLO was running it. PLO didn't want a two-state solution. In 2007, just two years later, Hamas took over from the PLO and booted them out. PLO is running the West Bank now, another huge part of what should be Israel, that Israel allows, okay, per the UN agreement and so forth. So what's interesting, but not per the God's, agree God's uh, agreement. So in 2007, Hamas took over. And you know what they destroyed after Israel had moved out? Greenhouses that Israel left behind so they could have all kinds of produce, they destroyed that. They, the first thing they did was start destroying the synagogues of Israel. Israel doesn't destroy the mosque in the land of Israel. In fact, Israel tells the citizens to flee because we have to retaliate and fight back because Hamas isn't doing a ceasefire. Do you know that? Hamas is all like, so oh, why doesn't Israel do a ceasefire? Because they're the only ones that would do the ceasefire, by the way. And Hamas would live again to continue to try to destroy them, which is their charter. But guess what? When when Gaza, when civilians of Gaza are seeking to leave Gaza, what have a lot of the Muslims done? A lot of Hamas done? Warned their destruction, their own civilians. Israel says, we don't want to harm civilians. Hamas says, we put our headquarters below hospitals in children's schools because it's all about ratcheting up the propaganda. And I've told you from the beginning, when I first started speaking on this just a month and a half ago again, that this is a propaganda war. This is war about turning the world against Israel. Look at my first message I gave, and now look what's happening on the streets. Not because I'm a prophet, but because I know what the Word of God says. And I know there'll be anti-Israeli sentiment that'll go around the world. And I said, watch, this is about propaganda. This isn't the first message I gave on this subject. It's about propaganda. And now what do you see around the world? What do you see at major universities? Columbia, which has, New York has more Jews than any other state in our nation, but Columbia is supposed, guess what? The faculty, a lot of the faculty spoke up against Israel, you know? Now a lot of Jews are afraid to go to school at a lot of different schools because the anti-Semitism that's all around. We've been warning about this. And guess what? 
The Christians didn't step up much in Germany to help the Jews. Don't, let, don't learn the lesson from that. Make sure you stand up and you say, hey, even though if they believe, if people believe in Christ or not, you still speak the truth according to what God's word says. You call what's wrong, wrong. Amen. You call what's right, right. So it's important to understand this. Now, I want to show you a clip. This is a BBC clip. I think that's the first one we have up. Is that the first one that we have up? It's a BBC clip. It's a just short 45 seconds or so. It's a Hamas official talking to BBC, you know, justifying what they're doing. But he's being questioned, wait a minute, you guys went in and killed civilians. And he's like, oh, I don't know. Anything. Well, no, you kill people in their sleep. And then look what happens. They went after civilians, folks. Started all over again with sound up. Thank you. You say this was a military operation, but the result of it was that hundreds yeah, of civilians were killed. Because the area is very wild, and there are many people there, and there was clashes. Yeah, without music. It's not confrontation. You invaded houses. Details what happened inside. But I, I can tell you that we didn't have any intention. You say this was a military operation, but the result of it was that hundreds yeah, of civilians were killed. Because the area is very wide, and there are many people there, and there was clashes and confrontation. It's no, not confrontation. You invaded I, I houses. Details what happened inside. But I, I can tell you that we didn't have any intention or decision to kill the civilians. How do you justify killing people as they sleep, you know, families? How do you justify I, I want, I, I want this, uh, uh, in I want to stop this interview. You guys, come on now. You know, they're going and killing people in their sleep, killing babies, chopping heads off of babies, taking babies out of mothers' wombs, killing them, just, just putting them on Capitan, a drug, the, the, the soldiers who just treat them, treat them as zombies. And they went after civilians, guys, okay? And that's the thing is uh, Israel, you can go to Israel as an Arab and be treated great, okay? That's what my, my friend, when he was on our last Israel trip, the one, I'm, the one I'm remembering anyway, he's texting back. He goes, no, man, the Israelis and the Arabs get along really well here in Israel, you know? And of course, if you remember jihad and you want to destroy all the Israelis, that probably wouldn't be the case, amen? So it's interesting. Uh, the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. That's why it says, put on the whole armor of God so you can stand in the evil day. Amen? Now, what's interesting is the Bible talks about a spiritual war, that there's these principalities and these powers, these demonic entities that are over people and, and over wickedness, you know, that preside over. They're the rulers of the darkness of this world. And Satan has wanted to destroy Israel for many, many years. I had a whole message showing you the history where Satan has tried to destroy the nation of Israel. First of all, because he knew the seed was coming from Israel, Abraham's descendants. He knew the Messiah was coming and that his head was going to get crushed. So he tried to destroy Israel. Now when Jesus Christ comes back, he comes to defend Israel. He couldn't stop the Messiah from coming and dying for us, amen? So maybe Satan's like, oh, you know, maybe I could just destroy Israel before Christ comes back because he's come back to save them. But if they're not here, maybe I'll be victorious. Does he really think that? I don't know, but he's sure trying it. Some think Satan thinks he has a fleeting chance to still win. I think he, he it says he knows his days are short, so he comes down with great wrath when he's thrown down to the earth because he knows his days are short. 
And I have, I have a strong belief that he knows he's going to be wiped out in the end. But maybe there's a fleeting because he deludes other people with this delusion. And he's deluded himself from the very beginning that he could be God. Amen. Maybe part of him still deluding himself that maybe I could still win. So they want to destroy Israel as a people group. God's not done with Israel. Listen to my message I did a few weeks back on a Wednesday, two or three Wednesdays ago, on how he's got promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he said he'll never break. And that only if the sun and the moon and the stars stop shining and they don't exist anymore, you know, then I'll be done with Israel. But all Israel, he said, in the end would be saved. Amen. There'll be a remnant. Romans 11 says that. Paul says, I wouldn't have you to be uninformed, or the King James, ignorant of this reality that God's not done with Israel, that all Israel will be saved. Amen? There'll be a remnant in the end that will come to the Messiah and recognize Jesus, whom they pierced, it says, in Zechariah 12 in the Old Testament as well. So there's a spiritual war. And now, you, I hope you understand, I've talked about uh, what, what benefits me in this message and wanting to get certain points is I've talked about other points in the last few messages, so I could just refer to them. But if you haven't heard those messages, I encourage you to go back to them. But I want to let you know there's a bunch of uh, puppet regimes or, or militias and so forth, like the Houthis in Yemen, uh, like Hezbollah in Lebanon, who's firing rockets at Israelis, like Hamas, who rules Gaza. They're all backed by, guess who? Who are they all backed by? Iran. Yep, they're, they're backed by Iran. What was the ancient name of Iran? Do you remember? Persia. Man, you guys are good. It was Persia, okay? When Hitler came to power, they changed their name to Iran, but it was Persia for centuries. Well, there's a war going on spiritually that Daniel's involved in, right? He's in Babylonian captivity. The Persians will take over. And the archangel Michael's having a hard time battling a certain angelic being, one of these principalities in the heavenly realm, in the spiritual realm that's beyond us mortals. And they're at battle. And then, he, and then guess who calls and helps him? Because Daniel's prayed. Daniel prayed, you know, Lord, give me an understanding. What's going on with my people? Here we are in Israel. I'm sorry, in Babylon. When are we be set free from Babylon? Seventy years is up. And guess what? The angel Gabriel is trying to get to him with a message. But he gets hung up in a battle with another entity. Okay, the prince of Persia. Another de a demonic entity. And here's what we read in Daniel chapter 10, verse 13. Daniel chapter 10, verse 13. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me. That's now Iran, guys. Resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, talking about Michael the archangel, one of the chief princes came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now this is really heavy stuff, guys. Just like there's a war physically in the world, there's a spiritual war that goes on. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? that there is a spiritual war going on between Satan and his demons and, and, and Jesus and then the Archangel Michael and God's angels, you know? And there's a spiritual war. And then God gets, uh, you know, Archangel Michael helps him and he's free to go to speak to Daniel. He gives him a revelation about what would happen in the future. There's a spirit, is my point at this point, over not just Persia, okay, demonic entity, who want, which is Iran right, Iran right now, wants to destroy Israel, but over a lot of the, the, the whole world, it says, is under the power of the evil one, 1 John 5, 19. It says, we know that we are of God, but the whole world is under the power of the evil one. So you need to make sure you know Jesus, man, or you're under Satan's power too. But it's interesting, when you look at the scripture here, is uh, in Revelation 12, Satan is cast down where he no longer has access to go back and forth to heaven. And that's when the great tribulation period, that last three and a half years starts, which may not be too far away. And it's interesting because if I did a lot of study as a new Christian. I was studying, you know, what the enemy was doing 
And I started looking at Adolf Hitler because I thought, wow, he tried to kill every Jew. I'm reading my Bible. I'm like, wow, Hitler tried to wipe out all the Jews. This is what I'm reading about in the Bible. And I start reading about Hitler and the SS and Heinrich Himmler and how these guys were full-blown occultists contacting demonic entities. There's all kinds. You can just, you can just you know, do a search on Adolf Hitler and the occult, Heinrich Himmler and the occult. Heinrich Himmler was the head of the SS, his execution squad, you know, running tens of thousands of Germans to just destroy. A big part of their mission was rounding up Jews and destroying them. And Heinrich Himmler, uh, just so many years back, maybe 10, 12 years ago now, they found his occult library, which is hundreds of books on the occult, you know. And Hitler would talk about how he was in touch with this man-god that would cause him to tremble. Even the swastika comes out of Eastern mysticism, guys. He was into the secret doctrine by Madame Blavatsky and the fifth Aryan root race that he was all about, or the Aryan root race, that came from Blavatsky. And it gets too deep, but totally into Satanism and, and the occult and wanting to destroy all the Jews. He spoke in a hypnotic, demonic way, not turning people to Christ, but away from Christianity. And it's interesting when you think about Adolf Hitler, because uh, I just woke up this morning, and this was kind of interesting just because, what was it, Saturday? Friday. Uh, it was Friday a couple days ago when one of the brothers said, Joe, I remember you talking about the connection between Adolf Hitler and, and, and you know, Al you know, Husseini, the leader of, you know, the Grand Mufti of, of Jerusalem, right before Israel became a nation again. And he goes, it all makes sense. And guess what I woke up this morning? I saw the headline. Uh, I read the headline on Fox News. Arabic copy of Hitler's, Arabic, Arabic copy of Hitler's Mein Kampf found in, child's, in children's room used by Hamas, Israeli president says. And this isn't the prime minister, Netanyahu, this is Herzog, Isaac Herzog, the president of Israel. He says, we have a copy in Arabic with underlined and notes made in one of the rooms that was used, you know, one of the Israeli rooms that was taken, a children's room and used uh, by Muslims. And they found on this person, or they found a copy in Arabic of Hitler's Mein Kampf, which means my struggle. And it was about, you know, a lot of it was about, you know, getting rid of the Jews and so forth. And I just thought, isn't that interesting? In fact, the Grand, the grand Mufti of, uh, of Jerusalem, he was appointed a Muslim leader. He was leading Jerusalem before they were given back their land. In fact, here's a picture of him right now. We'll see a picture of him. Uh, and here he is with, oh, who's, who's he hanging out with? He's hanging out with Adolf, Adolf Hitler. He actually went to Berlin and uh, stood against, uh, eventually ended up standing against the Allied forces that were against Israel, United States and Britain and so forth, with, well, what would they have in common? Hmm, what do you think? What might they have in common? Well, he made a journey from Jerusalem to Berlin and shifted his allegiances uh, to Hitler uh, the, Pal the, Muz the Mufti and the Palestinian sheikhs, uh, religious leaders, they approved of the anti-Semitic measures that the Nazis were taking and so forth. Uh, in fact, Hussein made a broadcast that welcomed the defeat of the British who are, quote, working together with Jewish capitalism. And uh, he was against the Jewish capitalism uh, and he was highlighting the Nazis' uh, Islamic uh, alliance during World War II when all these Jews were being killed. The Grand Mufti of Jerusalem also, he made a declaration that he said 
that was broadcast on radio throughout northern Africa and throughout the Middle East. And this is what he said. He goes, This war, which has been unleashed by world Judaism, offers Muslims the best opportunity to free themselves from persecution and oppression. The Muslim who fears uh, somebody else besides God, or, and he's talking about Allah there, of course, the one who denies having a son, right? The, not, not the non-God. Yields to his enemies and, and places the fate voluntary, uh, voluntarily in the hands is not a Muslim anymore. There is no God but Allah. Which, by the way, that's what it says in the Temple Mount on the Al-Aqsa Mosque in the Golden Dome. There's no God but Allah, and he has no son. Denial of Jesus Christ, spirit of Antichrist. It makes total sense that he'd be joined together with Hitler, who was Antichrist, who had crosses taken down throughout the schoolrooms in Germany and put swastikas up instead. Okay. Annie, you brought one of your German friends was over, and she's like, how old is she now? Is she still alive? How old was she then? How old was she then about? Yeah, she was up there close to 80, you know, and she was talking about telling me how the Nazis would come in and take down the cross and put the picture of Hitler up. Then they'd leave, and then the teacher, who was a Christian, would take the picture of Hitler down and put the cross back up, you know. Then they'd come back and do it all over again, you know. But that's the spirit of Antichrist, you know. And uh, it's interesting because... Uh, in fact, that, this guy, I've, I've got video footage I'm not going to show you of, of the Mufti walking around, Hitler walking around, and the Muslims under his power, under his influence, doing the Nazi salute, you know? In fact, here's a couple more pictures of the Mufti uh, walking among different troops. I don't know if you can see his, see, see his hand up. Oh, there, thanks for getting those lights off. Uh, and now let's go to the next one. Here's the Grand Mufti of uh, Jerusalem again, you know, with his own troops and so forth. Okay. Uh, now... Let's go to the next slide. You know, I, you know, I'll tell you what. Uh, okay, Bibi absolves Hitler. Okay, let's, we're going to have to get the sound on. So we can make sure that we have the sound up every time that starts. And let's start it all over again. And in fact, let's hold off just for a second. I just want to share with you guys that uh, Netanyahu had said some years ago. And I believe Netanyahu overstates this is the prime minister of Israel. I believe he overstates his case, no doubt, because... And I don't think he was trying to absolve Hitler, but he points out, okay, according to Netanyahu, that it was a Grand Mufti, okay? And now keep in mind, uh, the Grand Mufti, by the way, they, he recruited all kinds of people for the SS, for the Nazis, all kinds of Arabs to fight with, to help the Nazis round up Jews, by the way, okay? But having said that, Netanyahu says here, he does overstate it to a degree, and he later says he probably overstates his case, but he points out that he says that, he says that Hitler... Uh, you know, wanted to just expel the Jews, not kill them. But it was a grand mufti who wanted them exterminated, okay? Now, I think that's overstated because I think they both wanted them exterminated. Well, let's listen to this uh, clip. Bibi absolves Hitler for the Holocaust. So reads the title of the lead story on the Daily Beast today following the Israeli prime minister's controversial comment. Uh, Hitler didn't want to uh, exterminate the Jews at the time. He wanted to expel the Jews. Netanyahu said it was the former Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, Hajj Amin al-Husseini, who encouraged the Nazi dictator to kill Europe's Jews. And Hajj Amin al-Husseini went to Hitler and said, if you expel them, they'll all come here. So what should I do with them, he asked. He said, burn them. Reactions were quick to come in from all parties involved. Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas said that Netanyahu's comments exonerate Hitler, while blaming the Mufti for genocide, and accused the Israeli leader of fabricating history. 
and the German government also denounced Netanyahu's statement, assuming full responsibility for the Jewish Holocaust. But did the Israeli Prime Minister get his facts wrong? Not quite. In November 1941, the Mufti met with Adolf Hitler in Germany. Hitler told al-Husseini that the Nazi regime supported the Palestinian cause and rejected the idea of a Jewish national home. Whether al-Husseini directly asked for the extermination of Europe's Jews is unknown. But just four years later, in 1945, Yugoslavia sought to indict the Mufti as a war criminal for his role in recruiting 20,000 Muslim volunteers for the SS who participated in the killing of Jews in Croatia and Hungary. But the Mufti fled to Cairo and later to Beirut and passed away in 1974. So what's other way you cut it, there's irrefutable proof that he allied with the Nazis and that he also helped recruit thousands and thousands of Muslims to join the SS to round up Jews to kill them, okay? It's the same spirit uh, that's alive. In fact, actually Islam had more precedent than uh, Hitler did as far as their so-called scriptures that encouraged them ruling the world and the extermination of the Jews that don't comply in the end. Uh, so both the Nazis, Hitler, the Mufti, and Hamas, they're all in the same ballpark. Hitler was a demoniac. I believe, personally, he wanted to destroy every Jew that, that lived, but he found a willing ally in the Muslims, okay? And now Hitler's gone, but the Muslims are still here, you know? And now there's many Muslims that, you know, that wake up today and they're not thinking, how can I kill Jews or I hate Jews? Or, but when you look at the Hamas and you look at the Muslim, Hamas's charter, you look at uh, Muhammad's teaching, about the rocks and the trees crying out, kill the Jews behind me, and their idea of the last judgment, that judgment doesn't come until their imam, uh, their last imam, brings an end to the Jewish state of Israel and rules from Jerusalem, which is what the Bible says uh, what the Antichrist will seek to do. Amen? So it's all really, really interesting. And we need to understand the prophetic scriptures. Look at what it says in Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, and then verse 44. But as for you, Daniel... Thanks so much for turning those lights off, bro. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. And going back and forth is a term used in Scripture for searching the Scriptures, searching for truth. That's why more and more people are opening up the Word of God. A lot of Jews, too, are saying, whoa, what does the Bible say about this? It goes on to say, the wicked will act wickedly. I'm sorry. Many will be purged, purified, and refined. Are you ready possibly to be purged, right? purified and refined as Christians. The Bible warns that tribulation comes and God uses that to test us, to try us, to purge us. And that's why we have to be, I reminded my wife the other day, I said, you know, the Lord says, we've got to be ready for hard times. I go, right now, praise God. I mean, America, American Christians are very blessed. But when Job went through hell, guess what? The Lord, his wife, he said, and his wife was like, curse God and die. What did, she, what did he say to his wife? Are we only to accept the good, but not the evil? You have to be ready to suffer. The Bible says arm yourselves to suffer because there's millions of professing Christians who are taught that we're not supposed to, we're supposed to have peace and prosperity and name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. You know, God wants us to be rich, kings, kids, and, and we're not going to go through the tribulation period and really, really hard times because God's too loving to live. That's such a lie, guys. You need, and those, a lot of those will fall away. You need to be the point where you say, if things start getting really hard, you need to say, you know what? This is exactly what the Bible says, that many would be purged, purified, and refined. Amen? And I need to pass the test like Job did. Because, in, well, Job's in the Old Testament. James chapter 5, New Testament, says, Consider my servant Job. 
and how he endured, amen, and how God blessed him in the end, amen. Hold on to Jesus no matter what happens in your life, amen, no matter what hard times you go through. And how many of you are thinking, yes, I will, yes, I will. Why are you even holding on now? Are you going through a hard time right now? Maybe it's hard to pay your bills. Maybe you're going through some kind of problem at work or something in the home, are you, are, and you're already to give up. If you can't run, the Bible says, with footmen, how are you going to run with the chariots and horses when they come? You need to endure right now and stick close to Jesus no matter what goes on in your life. Amen. Put him first. Hit your knees in prayer. Seek the Father. Cry to the Lord and say, Lord, get me through everything. And I trust you. You don't want to be like the Jews in the wilderness, right? Who want to go back to Egypt. And said, oh, why don't you just kill us in the wilderness? It's so hard. Man, they could have just purged, pressed on and been in the promised land. Amen. But they whined, they mourned, they complained against God. They murmured against each other and Moses. And guess what happened? They were wiped out, many of them in the wilderness. That's right. Amen. And the Bible says in Jude chapter 1, verse 5, it says, after God saved them out of Egypt, he later destroyed those who did not believe. And them not believing is in the context of them not trusting him for his future promises to deliver them as he did before. And John mentioned in his message, I thought, that's pretty heavy that John's saying that he doesn't have a clue what I'm going to be saying today. But guess what? John's like, we just need to remember what God's done for us in the past. And that he's trustworthy. And that's, you got to remember God's character, that he's good, he's holy, he's righteous, and he has a, a track record of being faithful. And the fact that he brought Israel into the land again, right? And he's protecting her, Amen. Shows his faithfulness. And he'll be faithful to you if you cry out to his name. Amen. If you continue to seek him and love him. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So it's interesting. Uh, we're seeing these crazy connections. But the wicked aren't going to understand the end times. They're going to be on the street yelling death to Israel. Go Hamas. And it's the same people. I, I try to say, you know, with these rainbow flags a lot of the LGBTQ people have. And they're just go Hamas, you know, or pro-Palestine. How would that work in, palace, in, in any Muslim nation, by the way, if they were doing that? They'd be losing their heads. They'd be thrown off buildings. It's just people are just so blind. They're just so blind to what's going on. So now I'm going to slow down a little bit. Uh, let's go to Daniel. Chat. We're just going to look at a picture first. Here's Daniel's vision of the future events that would have to do with regard to Israel. Angel, you're getting quick at that, man. I'm glad you got a spry guy up there, man. Okay, that's Nebuchadnezzar's statue, that a vision that King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who was a type of the Antichrist, has a vision. God gives him a dream. He can't remember it, he says. Uh, and then nobody can interpret it except God uses Daniel to tell him what, what the dream meant, you know. And uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. And let's read about these. Well, before we go there, look at the head of gold, okay, the Babylonian Empire, silver, the Medo-Persian Empire, Bronze, the Greek Empire, iron, the Roman Empire, iron and clay, the modern powers at the end of time. Let's go to the scripture and see what it actually says, though. Jesus is a rock identified there. Okay, let's, let's, let's back up and just keep that image up. Let's, and, and just, let's, let's look at it from scripture itself. No, uh, right there, that's good, thanks. Can I have the lights on just so people could read for a moment? I'm, I'm gonna, it's going to be a little tricky, Angel, because I'm going to be going back and forth to text as well. Thank you, bro. Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. You, O king, he's, he's interpreting the dream. Now check this out. Let's slow down a little bit so you can get this. You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and extraordinarily splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands. 
And it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Let's go to the next slide. There's a stone hitting the statue. Picture of it. Not sure what it looked like in uh, his dream. Then it says, then it goes on to say in verse 35, then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now keep in mind, it's interesting that they are successive kingdoms, right? But they're all destroyed together at the same time. Well, how does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense when you understand this. Verse 36, this was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. Oh, uh, you, O oh king, are the king of kings uh, to whom uh, the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the strength and the glory. And whenever the sons of men dwell or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them. You are what? You are what? The end of verse 38. You are what? You are the head of gold. Okay? So who's the head of gold? Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Okay? He's the ruler of Babylon. Keep in mind, just not long prior to this, what's happened? Babylon went into Israel. Okay? They, just, they went into the, the southern kingdom, Judah. They destroyed the temple. Just destroyed it. Okay? They stole, they stole the temple implements, brought them back to Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar is reigning. Destroyed Israel. God said, I'm going to bring judgment upon my people. You're right? The northern kingdom was already uh, destroyed and dispersed the ten tribes about 150 years earlier. Now the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, are destroyed by Babylon. Daniel's taken captive along with his people in Babylon. And he says, you, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, you are the head of gold. Babylon is modern day what? Come on now. Modern day Iraq. Okay? That's important. Because all these these metals, the statue gets destroyed at the very end. Together, too, right? So it's modern-day Iraq. That's what that's Babylon. This modern-day Iraq was Babylon. Saddam Hussein, before he was defeated uh, in that war, some of you weren't even alive then, but uh, it's weird. When I was a kid, we'd talk about World War I and II. It seemed like so far back. And now kids that are my age or younger that were my age then, when I was that old then, are looking back at the Kuwait War and so forth, and they're like, oh, that's like so long ago. It's just a blink. When you, you live your life, it's like, wow, that wasn't that long ago. Uh, but Saddam Hussein was trying to rebuild Babylon at the time because he was a king of Iraq. And uh, ancient Babylon, he was trying to rebuild. And he says, at the same time, they became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. I'm at verse uh, 35 right now. And the wind carried them away so that the, not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became what? A great mountain and what? Filled the whole earth. That's because when the Lord comes back, Jesus is the rock that destroyed this whole statue. He's going to set up his kingdom on earth, the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Amen? Now look at verse 36. This was a dream. Now we will tell its interpretation, O king. And he says that he's the head of gold. Now back to verse 39. That's where I left off in verse 38. After, uh, after you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you. Okay, Another kingdom is going to rise after him that's inferior to him. That's the Medo-Persian Empire. Okay, What kingdom came after the Babylonian kingdom? The Medo-Persian kingdom. The Persians took over. Remember Cyrus? 
that God would rise up Cyrus, a king of Persia, right? And that he set the Jews free. Okay, that's in the Old Testament, and that's also part of history. You look at history. Who succeeded the Babylonian Empire, which was ruling all these different nations through the Middle East? The Persians came in after, after, after uh, Iraq or the head of gold or Nebuchadnezzar or Babylon. So the Persians come in. It's called the Medo-Persian Empire. You know why it's called the Medo-Persian Empire? Because the Persians had their main ally was the Medes. The Medes were very small compared to the Persians. Almost insignificant, but it was a Medo-Persian Empire. But it was lopsided. The Persians were way bigger than the Medes uh, as far as a group. And they would come in. Then another, a third kingdom would come in uh, of bronze. Okay, What's the kingdom that came after the... Now let's go back. Here we got it. What's the king? You see the Babylonian Empire. You see the Medo-Persian Empire. Then the next one is the bronze. What came after the Medo-Persians? They made movies like 300 popular movies about the, the, under Alexander the Great and how the, the uh, Grecian Empire right, uh, came in and just a small army because they were fast like a leopard, man, and they just, just wiped the Persians out. They took over. Okay. Then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron. What was the fourth kingdom that came in after these three kingdoms? The what? The Roman Empire came in. If we look at this in succession... And the Romans ruled like nobody else ever ruled. They dominated so much land. And uh, then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron. That's the Roman Empire. As much, you guys have notes up there, though. That's why you're so quick, man. Okay. <laughs> then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron. That's the Roman Empire, I believe. And as much as iron crushes and shatters all things, so like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. Now, it's interesting. You know what the Romans did to the Jews? They didn't only disperse them around the world. But if you read Josephus, and when the siege came against Jerusalem and from 68 to 70, there were over a million Jews that were put to death. Some estimate that is even more. Verse 41. In that you saw the feet of toes, and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom. It will be a divided kingdom. This is the final kingdom. And it will have in it the toughness of iron as much as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As, uh, uh, I'm sorry, they'll have the toughness of iron. Yeah, and then verse 42. As the toes of the feet, now how many toes are in people's feet together? Ten, keep that in mind. We're partly of iron and partly of pottery. So some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that, and it's kind of interesting because when the Muslims joined with uh, Hitler, you know, under the Mufti, they really didn't take much over, you know. They're kind of brittle. I'm not saying the Muslims are brittle today. I believe they have some power, especially when you look at Iran, seeking to get nukes and stuff. Verse 43, And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. Okay. Now it's interesting that final kingdom has ten nations. Those ten nations we find later will give their power to the Antichrist, and they'll rule the world. Those ten toes signify ten nations. Now, what's very fascinating about this is that you have an admixture. And it's the Roman, I believe it's the Roman Empire. But it's interesting, you've got to keep this in mind. Was the Roman Empire just Europe? Yes or no? No. Paul said, when he appealed to one of the kings in Acts, when they wanted to, you know, basically put him to death, he said, I'm a Roman citizen. Yet Paul lived in the Middle East. Amen? He was a Jew. Because a lot of the Middle East was considered part of the Roman Empire. Okay? And it's interesting when you think about that, because the Roman Empire has, as you'll see, it has how many legs? How many legs does it have up there? Two legs, and then it has two feet. 
there was the western part of the Roman Empire, and then there's the eastern part of the Roman Empire. Constantinople, which was the headquarters of the eastern part of the Roman Empire, is nowhere near Europe. And it was later, you know, Constantinople uh, is now, it's, it's modern, it's, you know, Istanbul, modern Turkey, which, by the way, became the Ottoman Empire, which ruled for about a thousand years, guys. And it was a Muslim regime that ruled the, the, the eastern part of the Roman Empire. I personally believe that you'll have uh, mostly Muslim nations, perhaps some European nations, as part of this ten-nation confederacy mix of iron and clay in the end of days. In verse 44, In the days of those kings, the king, the God of heaven, the, uh, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left to another people. See, Jesus is coming back to set up his kingdom when? With the destruction of that, tyrant, the, that ten nation confederacy. And that fits Daniel's vision a little bit later, and that fits the book of Revelation when you have this beast with, ten, with seven heads and ten, ten horns. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. And as much as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, and the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Now, one thing I've tried to share with you, there is no way there's only five minutes left. I ignore it, but then if I ignore it, there's a lot of kids and teachers like, why is he ignoring it? Okay. So, okay. I can rush really fast and just, you're going to be scrambled and I will not be very effective. Or we need to have a part two because we're just getting into it. Part two? Okay. I was going to do part two either way because I didn't want a bunch of screaming mamas later. But, uh, uh, but let me say this, guys. That final kingdom is going to come. And go to, go to, take your Bibles now and go to 2 Peter chapter 3. And we'll end with this. But you guys, next week, it gets way heavier than we've just gotten already. Because you're going to see how all, you're going to see how Iran, Iraq, Syria, all these are in play in the very end. And they comprise much of that last empire. And it's exactly what we're seeing right now. And it's going to be really crazy. But go to 2 Peter chapter 3. Because the scriptures do say that God will destroy those kingdoms. And he'll destroy them with fire. But look what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3. I think it's very, very important. Verse, go ahead and pick it up at verse 8. Because, you know, J Peter says that some are going to be saying, he prophesies, where's the promise of his coming? And then he says this. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. He counts different than we do, guys. Why does he count so slow? But he's patient, that's why, toward you. Not wishing for any to perish, but what? For all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away and with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? What kind of person ought you to be since the Lord's coming back in fiery judgment, man? Verse 12, looking for and hastening, speeding up the coming of the day of God, 
because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. Verse 13. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Verse 14. Therefore, because of this reality, what's the therefore, therefore? Therefore, in light of this fact, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him where? In peace, spotless, and blameless. Amen. The only way you could be in peace and spotless and blameless is if your sins are forgiven. If you've been come right with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right now as I talk, there has been almost 50 different assaults on our military by Muslims, including not just in Syria, not just in Lebanon, uh, but also in Iraq, a number, which is what we're just talking about with this first head, this, gold, this golden head. It's all in play, guys, okay? We're getting assaulted because of our alliance with Israel right now. Pray for our leadership because you have a lot of young leaders like Talib, right, who is just censored in Congress because of pointing out, exclaiming, you know, from the, from the, from the river to the sea, peace to Palestine. And that's the slogan, from the river to the sea to many Palestinians, means from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, which is Israel, to call that Palestine. And the only way you get peace for Palestine is the eradication for many Muslims of the Jewish population there, genocide, which happened under Hitler. Okay? There's the, the things that we're talking about. The head of gold right there. That's, that's Iran. I'm sorry, that's Iraq. That's Iraq. Babylon is Iraq. Iran has a lot of people in Iraq, a lot of their leaders, because of the vacuum created by the war with the U.S. some years ago. It, it all ties together, and we're just getting into it. We're just uh, scratching the tip of the iceberg here. Uh, so, but you need to make sure you're right with God, amen? Because you can, you can point at others and say, man, those guys don't know Jesus. Man, those guys don't know what they're in for. Well, do you know Jesus? Are you saved? Because without Christ, Jesus says, he that's not with me is what? Against me. You're either for Christ or against him. You're either for Christ or you're antichrist. And if you're not following Christ and not putting your trust in him, you're dead in your sins. You're going to pay for your sins. You'll be separated from God forever and ever. You have no hope of eternal life. But there is a hope. While you still have breath in your lungs, you can cry out to the Lord Jesus because he died on the cross to save you. He rose again and conquered the grave. And the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. So if you don't know Jesus, man, ask for forgiveness of your sins right now. If you know Jesus, make sure you are on the straight and narrow. Amen. Don't be messing around with the wickedness of the world. Make sure you're right with God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Can we all please stand? We're going to pass out the cup and the bread.